LegalizeFreedom.com Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Beyond politics, poverty and war. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Kingsley Dennis, who joins us to discuss his book, Healing the Wounded Mind, The Psychosis of the Modern World and the Search for the Self. Any thinking person watching television or reading a newspaper today is bound to wonder if humanity has lost its mind. And in a way, we have. What can only be described as mass psychosis is sweeping the world with gathering force, unhinging individuals, institutions and nations alike. A vicious circle driven by propaganda, fear-mongering and media manipulation makes us increasingly vulnerable to more of the same, while the stupefying circus of mindless entertainment and staged spectacles leaves us in no condition to truly think for ourselves. Is it possible that any of this madness can be traced to repressed trauma or scars in the collective unconscious? If the human psyche is somehow incubating a mental or spiritual virus, it might account for our self-sabotaging and at times suicidal insanity. Maybe the myths about ancient archetypes and entities such as the Archons or Araman actually hold seeds of truth. Whatever the case, accelerating technology and expanding interconnectedness are lending the term viral a darker hue, threatening to turn even more of us into clones, drones and automatons. Hello and welcome Kingsley and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thank you Greg, as always it's a pleasure. Today Kingsley we're going to be talking about your recent book Healing the Wounded Mind, The Psychosis of the Modern World and the Search for the Self. To get started just tell listeners a little bit about yourself and about the book. Well, myself, my background, I've worked a number of years in uh, teaching education and sociology in various places around the world, uh, universities in Turkey and England. Um, and I've looked at, I looked at changing social systems and how human consciousness and human thinking patterns uh, affect social processes. And that's um, more or less where I started because I left university um, about uh, 10 years ago now and went freelance writing and uh, as you know yourself I've had a few books under my belt and generally I've always looked at the um, positive constructive effects of uh, human thinking patterns and generally how that affects the transitions we're going through especially in the last you know in the point where we are now in this kind of crossroads as many people have referred to it and I've looked at how complex systems come together with consciousness and how they create tipping points. And I've looked at the shifting in many institutions, whether social, cultural, economic, political, 
and um, say generally from a, a positive evolutionary uh, perspective. And recently, uh, noticing how the, the the shifts, you know, the, the a lot of the shifts in the world at the moment uh, they haven't played out yet, and a lot of the the kind of um, disturbances and the conflagration of events have not played through into an outcome yet. And I wanted to look at how we are in this particular moment. It seems like we're stuck in in the middle of this kind of transition. It's like we've left one point, like imagine you're sitting in a bar and you get off one bar stool and you want to get onto another bar stool, but you haven't got there yet, you're in the middle. And I, I think we're in the middle at the moment and we are struggling with this shift and transition and it's it's affecting, uh, it's affecting more our, our, uh, perceptions and our, how we think and our emotions and a lot of areas of human life. So I wanted to look at that and that what brought me to this present book because it feels like that we need a, a kind of catharsis to heal ourselves and not only individually, but on a global scale because it seems that many, um, almost a projection playing out externalizing a lot of issues right now a lot of issues which we have to go through individually and also it seems that we need to externalize them so it's a look at the present time more than the future transitions or the future movements i've always kind of focused on the future pathways uh, previously this time i wish to focus more on the present and to look at say before we get to the complete positive outcome or before we get to the end of the transition, what's affecting our mental state? Because something must be wrong. Um, look at the world around us. It seems as if we are in a state of kind of upside down topsy turviness. And, um, we are thinking crazily a lot of, a lot of times. So that's the point. That's the springboard, Greg, where I started with the book because something isn't quite right. And that's why I started the research. Okay. We well, used the word crossroads there. And as you said, many other people have used uh, similar uh, words in this context. Do you really feel that, that that's the case uh, where we are? I mean, clearly you do on one level, but what's behind my question is that this is something that other people have pointed out has been going on for a long time. Uh, we had a, a sort of a existential crisis as the, you know, the year 2000 approached. Um, we're led to believe in history a similar thing happened at the year 1000. So the idea that we're at a sort of a tipping point or a crossroads sort of for the entire future of the species is actually quite an old one. And again, I'm not trying to debunk the idea at all. I'm just trying to get at your feeling about that and your, you know, your thoughts on the fact that this is a recurring motif. Yes, but it is a, a recurring motif and you're quite right. And I don't generally use the word crossroads. It, it popped up in my, in my, in my language just now. Because actually I, I look at it in terms of systems and more terms of cycles. And my background is in, in systems theory and complex systems. Um, and I see things as cycles which are coming around again. Um, or you could say a spiral whereby things have come around again, but we're not in the same place. We don't come around to exactly the same place. We've moved to a different space, i.e. a spiral could be further up. But I'm not talking about uh, time so much. I don't talk about linear time. I'm not talking about space and, and a particular place along the cycle or the spiral. These are all just kind of analogies that human thinking uses. 
Um, what I do feel that we're going through in a, in a long process is one of a, a kind of evolutionary mutation or adaptation. We we are evolving, but from a side of consciousness, not from a material side. But that evolution of consciousness or shift in consciousness affects material structures. And this is a very long, ongoing process. And so we get various manifestations in the external physical world of what's going on, let's say, from a, a non-material consciousness um, level. Now, I say that because I, I maybe should uh, make my standpoint clear here, is that I've, I've outlined in my work that my position is that consciousness is primary and material manifestations or the universe of matter, reality as we understand it, is a secondary phenomenon. And also is that consciousness is not produced by the human brain in humans. And therefore consciousness is a, a field effect. Let's say um, we could uh, refer to it as the um, zero point field, which is the field of energy from which all matter manifests. And the human brain, which is only one part of the brain in the human body, I feel that the whole body, nervous system, the heart, is a whole kind of brain of the body. But the human neocortex and what we know as the brain is a kind of interpreter. And that picks up fields of consciousness, interprets that, and helps to uh, a kind of place a perception, a reality perception for human beings. So consciousness is primary as that, as we interpret that and as that shifts, then we are going to see ripples out and different manifestations physically. So it's not really a crossroads per se, although I did use that term, so I do take complete credit for it. Um, what I feel is that um, as this mutation or shift in consciousness is at a further along point, we're going to see further disturbances and how we perceive reality and how we deal with reality uh, is what is, I think, one of the prime causes at the moment of both um, our potential futures and um, the disturbances uh, that we're seeing right now. Well, uh, back in the material world, it was a few months ago that your book came to my attention at the, because I follow your work, obviously, so I know when you've got something new coming out, I subscribe to your mailing list, as other people should consider doing. Um, but I had a couple of books that I'd also come to my attention, and I remember posting something about this on social media, and uh, I know that you noticed this. And these two books were one by a guy called Frank either Furedi or Furedi, I don't know how to pronounce his name, and his book's entitled How Fear Works. And the second book was by um, Douglas Murphy, I think that's his name. And anyway, the book's called The Madness of Crowds, and it's receiving a lot of attention at the minute. Uh, he's an English author. And these deal with different dimensions of how we're collectively becoming unhinged, basically mass psychosis, to pull a word from uh, the title of your book. And it seems like you that like we're collectively if we think of ourselves as individuals like cells in the body of humanity we are like a, a body fighting with itself this is something that that has been ramping up now for quite a few years and i think this is something that in your own way your your own take on it that part of your book is tapping into is observing this derangement this collective derangement that we're undergoing 
Yes, sure. And I, I did see your post, and that's right. I, I did uh, notice those books. And I think you're right. It's hard not to see it. it. It, you know, you have to have some part of your head in the sand not to notice this derangement going on. And so it's naturally going to draw our attention. And so, you know, for generally that you know, in terms of um, human, the human condition, we look at the physical body and or the emotions and we say we have to look after our body. We go on diets, we, you know, we do exercise, we watch how we eat. Um, and yet very few of us, or it's not part of our general narrative, is to actually take care of our minds. And I think this actually is the primary thing, is the mind, because the state of mind will have a huge effect on the body. But more than that, it will have an effect on, on how, we, uh, re how we interpret the world around us and how we experience the world around us. The state of mind is paramount. And so if, you know, if we see this kind of craziness in the world now, now one of the one of the reasons why I think it's such heightened this kind of um let's say mass psychosis is because we are at a state of um interconnectedness like never before, and we don't have to speak too much about that it that again is self explanatory with our global communications, our internet social media. people are showing themselves so much more and revealing themselves and uh, joining, participating, or at least observing in a global dialogue. So that's really putting everything out there. You know, as we used to say, you know, washing your your dirty linen linen in, in public. Now, on the other side, as I mentioned, the the consciousness factor is that, as I understand it, we receive consciousness. Now, if you think you if you think that you produce it, my my thinking patterns, my state of mind, I produce it. I'm responsible for that. Then you don't think too much about it. You think, you know, if I choose to think bad, I will. If I choose to think good thoughts, I will. And so you think like, you know, you've got that nailed. And so it's not really a part of one's uh, general concern. But if, but if I turn that around and I say to you, well, what if actually um, our interpretations come from our social conditioning? So we have some um let's say uh, responsibility for that for the interpretation but actually the much grander state of mind the vibrational state the energetic state um state of nervousness anxiety um and these issues a lot of that is that we pick up just as your radio would would pick up static from the airways if you're not properly tuned in or if you're tuned into a heavy metal station or you'll get different type of music, so the brain will pick up different kind of states of consciousness. If we're not aware of them, then what we do is that we imbue them and then we, then we actually re-put them out again. And we're contributing to the, the field of consciousness globally. And therefore, a lot of the time, we're contributing to the dissonance. Now, if you consider it that way, then you can, then it gives you an angle to see how this mass psychosis or the madness of the crowds may be happening because from a material level, we're participating in our technical um, device of communication, sharing everything and our thoughts like never before. But also we're sharing a state, of energetic state, a mental state that we're releasing. And we may not be completely aware of those energetic states that we're putting out could belong to some kind of corruption or an anxiety that we are perpetrating where we're actually um, spreading like a meme and we are part of that spreading that uh, energetic state. Uh, my perception is that that is more the case of what is happening now.
But yeah, well, anybody who's ever been to a large event with large crowds, you know, like a music concert or a sports event, will understand the power of that mass mind, the mood and how it can change. Anybody who's been to um, a protest or a political event that's turned into a riot will understand that change can occur and how you can get uh, subsumed into it as an individual, even as an individual mind. Uh, so that's very powerful in itself. And again, if you're not, if your awareness isn't very keen, it's very easy to get caught up in that sort of thing. Now, there are positive dimensions of that. Of course, there are. But we're talking about the negative aspects of it. You talked about the interconnectedness, the heightened interconnectedness that we have as a species at the moment. And again, this is something that's ultimately very positive, I think. But there are downsides. There are risks. And in a way, by connecting to the Internet literally with our devices so we connect our minds with one another and you know you can get a virus uh, on your computer or your device equally you can get a, a mind virus by the same method yeah that's so true and actually um as you say there's benefits and downsides to everything that is the way of life the the, the crux is, is to be aware of it and awareness then will help one to to make a choice and to choose how to participate um now, for example, you talk about energy, and you rightly said that if you can be, you can be um, caught up in the madness of a crowd. Now, this was used to, to horrendous effects during the, the Nazi propaganda, when these huge rallies would just sweep the people up, and um, and so a lot of that that kind of madness occurred in physical spaces and physical crowds because that was the only way that huge numbers could gather. Now we're on our mental sphere. We're on the new sphere, as they call it, with the internet, and we can gather millions of people and in a similar way. And so um, it's very important to be mindful of that. So, for example, if you walk into a sacred building, such as a church or any, any sacred place, that and you're in a state of, of um, devotion, a state of uh, heart and mind concentration, then you can feel the energy build up and people have spoken about this in all ways of life, you feel the energy in that place. Now that's because we do emit these energies. We emit them uh, electromagnetically, we emit them um, in consciousness fields. Now you put that in the negative situation, as you say, where you're in a, a place of um, violence or you're in a place of just, let's say, uh, non-harmonious thoughts or anxiety, frustration, uh, fear, and fear is the um, the most one of the most powerful negative vibrational energies available. And if you put that into a space where that can be utilised, um, then it, it's very dangerous. And I think we're not really aware generally of how much we are the emitters of these non-physical or, or non-visible energies, which are primary. And I think now that we are using the, the, the technology to such a degree in our lives and all the time, I think we should be more mindful that we participate physically, emotionally, uh, mentally, and uh, with consciousness in everything we do. And therefore, everything has, a, has an effect. Now, it's something that you get into in your new book, uh, which greatly interests me, and it's, it's a, an area that I'd read about, before was various concepts, you know, whatever names you choose to give them, uh, that of uh, Uwatiko, the uh, Archons, entities such as Araman, concept of the Demiurge, what you refer to as mental pathogen, which echoes something I was saying a moment ago. 
And um, I first came across this many years ago in the work of Paul Levy, uh, American author. Yeah, you might be aware of, of his work in this area. But um, it was very interesting that you, you got into that, especially at this time, because these are areas that a lot of people will readily dismiss as, you know, you know folk tales, myths. Uh, you know, yes, not- and um, I probably um, w- would not have come across this, these themes before in the same way. It crossed my radar. Now, when I, I first came across this idea in the work of Carlos Castaneda and his book, The Active Side of Infinity, talks about these um, mind predators or mind parasites which Don Juan calls predators and he actually says in in that book The Active Side of Infinity which I, I, I recommend reading that these predators they did a wonderful strategy what the strategy was is that instead of trying to attack people with mentally what they did is that they gave people their own minds they insinuated themselves in people's minds so you wouldn't even notice their presence. And it's like a kind of energetic virus. Now, I read that book many, many years ago, and this concept intrigued me, but I hadn't really found it correlated in many of the places. So so it just kind of dropped away from my radar. And like most things uh, that I I research and write, they come across – they kind of tap me on the shoulder or they nudge me and say, you know, look at this. And so I go away and look at it. And very timely um, was I looked at the work of Jack Forbes, who had the work The Wetiko, which Paul Levy in his book Dispelling Wetiko also referred to. And I am aware of Paul Levy's work as well, which I think is, is uh, merits reading. And so Wetiko from Jack Forbes, he was um, a native... Uh, American Indian scholar, and he saw this disease as a civilizational disease, especially from the colonizing or the the European forces. But he seemed to think that um, the reason why Western civilization or European civilization in the last few centuries uh, had been so successful is because they adopted a certain mindset, or rather they adopted a corrupted mindset, and, and agreed with this virus way of thinking of competition, conquest um, and all and all this kind of um, uh, very disagreeable forms of slavery and um, and power show and he called that a civilizational disease so I thought that was interesting and I started to look around and then I came I went back to Steiner's work Rudolf Steiner and his work on Ariman and Ariman being a, a similar force to let's say the, the he called it the Luciferic force whereby the Luciferic force was was uh, a much different one. Araman focused on a kind of insinuating and encouraging a, a rational materialism, a loss of spirit, um, a, a loss of belief in the non-visible realms, and that this was the age of Araman. And Araman was the perfect analogy, or the perfect energy also, for um, attaching to technology because that was a form of, again, dependency on materialism. And then, of course, I went back to look at Jung and his model of collective consciousness and the shadow. And so could that, because Jung's idea correlated with my own understanding of a consciousness field. So bringing them all together just seemed so timely. And I was not saying, well, the origin of this malaise or the origin of this mental virus is not A or B or C. 
but if you look at all these other people looking at this fear, this fear of this um, mental virus, then I, I think they all have something. They all add to the, the discussion. And we can see that something's gotten into our minds, quite literally. Something has affected human uh, mental capacity. And these are the people, whether it's Young, Jack Forbes, Stein or Castaneda, they've all got some part of the puzzle. And that's what I want you to present, to say that I'm not giving an answer, but I'm saying that there's something out and we need to be aware of it in order to push forward and push through this malaise. Well, I caught something on the radio the other day, and it was a very throwaway, mundane piece about New Year's resolutions and, you know, why they prove so difficult to stick to. And one of the speakers made a comment that caught my attention, and she said that, I'm paraphrasing now, but we, you know, we all have that part of us, some thing that seems to have an agenda of its own that is not our agenda. And uh, she was, of course, just referring to why you couldn't give up chocolate or why you couldn't stick with a gym or whatever in the new year. But I just thought it was interesting, and it kind of is echoed in what you're and what you just said. That is interesting, I, and I my sense is that the more aware we become of this, the more we may see the patterns of it, and we may spot it, just as you spotted it in that quote. And then I think it's it's more prevalent, it's more um, you know um, present around us in the world but we haven't really spotted it yet and and i've talked about that in the book is that the main thing that the virus wants is to be unseen because once you know it's there you start to see its uh, traces um when i started looking for it more i thought yes i can see it there and i can see it there and uh, that's why I, I gave a quote in the book um from i think the gospel of one of the gnostic gospels yeah the gospel of philip and i think this is an important point because the gospel of philip says so long as the root of wickedness is hidden, it is strong. But when it is recognized, it is dissolved. When it is revealed, it perishes. And I think that's the uh, issue now, is that we are living in, a, in an age of distraction, where we're being distracted from ourselves, our attention is being pulled out externally onto, um, whether it's onto uh, matters of entertainment, consumerism, or matters... Um, onto world events, or, or, or matters onto anxiety and, and things that frustrate us, or, or through fear itself, we're being distracted from ourselves. And so we're not looking into our minds, we're not looking into uh, what's really happening with ourselves. And I think now's the time to see the patterns, um, because when you see them, uh, I think they will start to give the game away. And um, I'm also reminded of uh, the Armenian... Uh, Greek philosopher, mystic uh, George uh, Gurdjieff, because Gurdjieff talked a lot about human beings being automatons and that we have so many different minds inside of us. Gurdjieff would say, you have one mind to do this, one mind to do that. And just like the quote from the New Year's resolutions, Gurdjieff would often say, people have a, you know, a resolution to do something, but give them 10 minutes and they've changed their minds. Why? Because there's a certain kind of dislocation within our within our minds that not helping us to really, I think, focus and uh, see the puzzle. And I think now's the time to to start to see the traces. Well, wasn't it Gurdjieff? I think there's a quote from him in your book: "Contemporary culture requires automatons." Yeah, it, it it does require them, and that's so true on so many levels. Even on a, on a wider um, social political 
a cultural context, is that social management requires automatons. Now, this is another issue which I think is tied into this um, issue of the mind virus, is that um, we've now become a, a population of inter, you know, over 7 billion people. The majority are interconnected. And um, so many people are now hooking into this internet to hear in the news. They're more mobile. They have more information. Um, they, they want to participate more in the world. They're looking for autonomy. And the social systems are thinking, how do we socially manage this? Um, because it is a, it's a huge um, issue. And so and I think part of, part of this mind virus is also that there's an element which is being manipulated to create a consensus narrative, a consensus mind programming, or a, let's say you know, a consensus dominant way of thinking that wants everybody to agree with it. And that's been socially constructed. And if we all, if we all spread this meme of, of consensus narrative thinking and sharing it, then we, we end up socially managing ourselves through fear of stepping out of this, this way of thinking or way of being. And so that's the best way to, to have a, a managed population is that they manage themselves. And I think that's part of the issue we're dealing with, Greg. I don't want to sound um, dystopian, but I think it's something we have to be aware of. Yeah, in a previous era where we were less interconnected, it was more straightforward. It was easier to inculcate conformity, uh, you know, through consumerism, for example, or, or, you know, or mass entertainment. There, it was a less sophisticated process. But as things have moved on now, it has had to take on different dimensions and enter the realms of, of mind and or, you know, of ideas and attitudes. And, you know, because despite some appearances to the contrary, it's for all sorts of reasons. It's harder to buy us off now with dreams of like, play the game, keep your head down, don't think, and here's your reward. You know, you know, the house, the car, the holiday, blah, blah, blah. The whole scheme to engineer the automatons that we were speaking about. Um, has had to take on a, a whole other level of uh, sophistication. And, and I, the positive in that for me is in response to all energies and changes that are ultimately positive. So it's, you know, it's action and reaction. Sure, yeah. And, you know, if we go further back uh, in history, then um, control was a much a fear f through body physical fear of your well-being. Anyone who stepped out of line would be put in the stocks in the village square or were still even hanged in the village square because your body belonged to the, the, the state and you were, you know, you could be executed. And, but now, as you said, um, the, the developed nations went into consumerism after the industrial revolution and that consumerism, um, supplicated people and made them enter this uh, willing willing um, in a sense agreement or subservience to to the social systems on the other hand some other nations um, had to rely on totalitarian regimes to keep their people in place and that's still the case in some places but you can see the pattern i'm looking at is that once the the these totalitarian regimes are falling around the world and so they should um but what's replacing them is not so much a physical deterrent, but as you rightly say, a mental deterrent, because the the sphere of operations of power has shifted. 
from a physical domain into a, a mental consciousness domain. And we're very much now in the epoch where the battle is for our minds. The playground of um, vying for power and interest of power is with the human mind. And so we're in a kind of perceptual programming era now. And once we're aware of that, um, we can see more the patterns of how that's happening. Now, just to take the internet because it's it's a, it's one of the biggest subjects of our time. When the internet first hit the hit the public airways in the early 90s, um, and we know they had the dot com bubble at the end of that decade, it was such a fresh playing field and so much innovation, and people were going crazy on it. And uh, it was a more or less a free for all. And yet, just within those just within two decades. We can see how much it's being appropriated as a um, also as a surveillance system, as a as a data mining system with algorithms, and uh, and now fake news. And you know, in just that short time, that the, the the social management powers have jumped onto it, and so we're running out of time to understand the importance of perceptual and mental freedom. Yeah, it, it is a concern in many ways because. For many people in the past, um, well, I think it's always been the case, but the, you know, the, the, your, one's mind is one's final refuge, uh, somewhat, sort of place that no one else can enter, that is private, uh, you know, is your own domain. No matter, and almost anything that someone can do to your body, you know, we hear stories of people in, in, uh, you know, in prison for decades and prisoner of war camps being tortured, being abused. All sorts of horrendous external things happening to people, but within their minds was that one place of refuge, you know, the one last vestige of, of, of the self that, that no one else can touch. Of course, there are ways your minds can be interfered with. More than ever, I would say that is kind of at risk. Yes, it is. I mean, it, it's like the, it's a double edged. It's at risk because it's the source. It's a seat of power and potential. And so it, it's at risk because from one side we have, let's say, um, dominant uh, powers or dominant structures wanting to uh, manage that because, of course, um, it is the seat of, of human um, freedom and human potential and human um, power. And on the other hand, it is going to be the saving grace. It's where we can find our power um, because it is, like you say, the refuge. The question is what state we want our mind to be. Because we, we can actually um, defend ourselves against the disturbances, the distraction, the, the dissonance in the world from the same place which, where we've been attacked to, i.e. the human mind. Um, because if we... Now, I've used, a, I've used this analogy before of the drowning person. I'm not sure if I've spoken with you before, but I'll say it again. Um, now, when a person is drowning and they're calling out for help, Generally, the first um, thought that a person has is to rush out and jump in the water and try and save them. But actually, the Coast Guards actually say, unless you're trained, um, this is not the best way to do, not the best option, because what happens is the drowning person will pull you down with them. And so um, you need to be have a, a state of training to not be pulled down. And I think that's an analogy we can use for the mind, is that the dissonance and the distractions and the turmoil that's coming, that's in the world, and which is going to come further down the line, is going to um, seek our attention, and it's going to pull us in. 
it's going to pull our attention in and therefore then our emotions get pulled in and what happens is that we actually merge with that level that energetic level as they say like attracts like it may seem it may seem blase to say like attracts like but that is uh, a general universal energetic law and so if we get if we get drawn into that then we get pulled down into that lower energetic level then we will be affected by it we will be maybe frustrated depressed have anxiety worry about out our future and and that is because we have merged with that energetic state the same time if we are able to um make a a conscious decision to detach from that to observe it um, not ignore it but to observe it but not be pulled in then we can maintain a mental state which can be out the reach of the infection and being affected it is actually quite as simple as that is that where we choose our mental attention to go to um will affect um will affect uh, what you know what we pick up energy flows where attention goes as they say it's one of those sort of mindfulness clichés isn't it another one of those clichés is be the observer of your thoughts but there's there's value in those those ideas side point that is related to both what you're saying and also what you said earlier about you know entities or that dimension of our minds that uh, appears to be operating or have a different agenda to what we think of as our agenda. You mentioned Jung and the collective unconscious and the idea that that can be, that we can be inheriting the weight of the collective unconscious, unconscious from those who came before us. What's your take on that? And also basic human nature is not the problem as such. I think you say words to that effect in your book, but there is some kind of weight that we're carrying and this finds an analog in ideas of you know the fall uh of humanity something you know, like that's echoed in the bible and also ideas about at some point we were doing well and then whether it was civilization or agriculture or something happened some you know hierarchical society came along domination and that kind of changed everything and that we're still carrying that that baggage with us yes i mean it, it's very difficult to have a pinpoint of origin um but of course if if only only recently i would say really at the beginning of the um 20th century did we start to understand the collective unconscious uh, thanks to young and only later with um with the latest findings in in science and quantum science have we become to understand that there is such a thing as a collective energy field and um so we've only been made aware of it very very recent in human history now if we think that this has been the case um from the beginning is that the consciousness field has, has been out there and when humans have developed uh, a physical brain they tuned into it they've been participating with this mutual engagement in that we can receive consciousness and we receive consciousness according to our capacity to to interpret it so for example again using an analogy when televisions were first invented they were black and white so we had obviously you know, a small black and white picture on a, on a 10-inch screen now obviously we moved on to color te- television then we moved on to uh, high definition then plasma screens and uh, you know what we have now I can't keep track of all the HDR and all the names we have so if i switch on the if i switch on a 50-inch high resolution uh, pixel television and then i put on a, a small 15 inch black and white television at the same side of the side of it the program that's been broadcast is the same 
But the program that's being received is different because of the capacity of this receiver. Now, human consciousness, uh, the brain was at a lower state of development, so it picked up, uh, let's say, uh, a low bandwidth picture. But whatever it picked up, it wasn't aware that it was also putting back into the collective field. Now, over over generations and generations and aeons of human history, of course, um, throughout everything that's happened, all that, all that um, consciousness, not only all the beautiful and artistic and positive side of human consciousness, but all the suffering, all the cruelty, and all the and other aspects have all gone back into the same field, and that field, of course, is very very mixed. And I think we are now, like you said, kind of the hereditary uh, receivers of that field. And it may be very well that we are at a stage where it's our responsibility to actually clean it out. And I, I actually put forward this hypothesis is that what's happening now on a global stage may be part of this, this kind of cathartic um, purification, whereby we've got to a stage where, where our, our our capacity to receive consciousness is so open and, and so um, advanced that we are receiving a lot of this conscious field. But but obviously we're picking up a lot of the detritus, a lot of the jetsam and flotsam that's been accumulated over the aeons of human history. And that is partly affecting our collective human mind now. And the way to deal with that is to, to cleanse it. And maybe that's why we need to externalize it upon the world to, to see it for what it is, to realize that there is an issue. We do have uh, a mental problem. The humanity is behaving crazily, and we need to purify. Well, not, I won't say purify. That's a, um, a loaded word, but I said we need to clean out this, and we need to clean our minds. And so that's part of this this moving through transition. If you've talked about it, we've gone through a transition on many levels, and I think part of that is to is to clean out our minds. But by doing that, we we have to project it out, and it, it's it's quite messy. It is like you know putting your dirty linen in public, and um, because of our global you know global technologies, we've seen a lot of that being played out, and it's harmful. But the positive side is it may be necessary, and it and also it may tie in with a, with a lot of the breakdown of the dysfunctional social cultural human systems. They may be playing out together. So we may see new systems coming out with new ways of thinking at the same time. Now, if that happens, if we can clean our thinking, at the same time we clean out our corrupted cultural, social, political and economic systems, we may see a boom time at the other side of this. But we have yet to get there. Well, what you just said echoes a number of recurring themes here, that of repressed trauma manifesting itself, there march of technology accelerating these processes uh, making them not only possible but uh, somehow inevitable. I also caught something in the media recently again on the BBC and it was it, it, they were talking to um, addicts and people with addictions their failure or success in overcoming them and again they were talking about this idea of part of their psyche having a somehow having a different agenda to what they saw as themselves, like this schizophrenic alter ego. And it made me wonder, that which is attacking us, coming down on us, wherever it's coming from, whether it's forced education, media manipulation, uh, the forces of the technosphere, 
in all their various guises, or maybe those entities that we've been speaking about, whatever form it takes, is it possible that this is somehow just part of us, uh, that we're doing this to ourselves, that this is a manifestation of Jung's shadow? Well, I think what is happening, Greg, is that um, the bottom line is that um, humanity is slowly waking up to the knowledge that they have great power, that great power and potential lies within the human being. And that's been alluded to over over the aeon, especially in many spiritual or wisdom traditions. Um, but people are now waking up to that. And so there's to counteract that, there's been a concerted effort to dumb us down. And and I spoke about that in terms of education as well. And there was a um and I refer to the work of Gat on that. And this teacher who wrote the book actually dumbing us down. Oh John Taylor Gatto. Yeah. And that and, and Gatto's work is, is is very valid to look into because he, he actually won the New York uh, Teachers Award and he taught for 30 years before he eventually left the system because he was so um, disgusted by it. And he saw the dumbing down. And I think in general, there is a dumbing down of the human mind and all the human potential. So to keep us away from ourselves, and I think the bottom line is we need to come back to ourselves. So um, the positive side is we have all the resources we need. We just haven't tapped into them yet. And we come into a stage where this human awareness of that inner potential is rising and so the counteractive forces are increasing that's why we see in the that the game has been upped you know the level has been increased because we're getting closer to that awareness and so there is a dumbing down now you and i think these this notion of these entities that have been around for so have been around again in terms of human history they've been a part of this game plan and you mentioned at the beginning of our talk the archons which were coming out of gnostic um not literature and gnostic knowledge and the archons were supposed to be these kind of inorganic beings very similar to what uh, don juan talked about in carl castaneda that um kind of mimic us and and try to um like i say distract us and to to um take us away from focusing on ourselves. So I think there's, I, I can't really pinpoint any one thing, but I, what I feel is that the time's getting closer to this uh, release of human awareness. And I think part of that is because human consciousness is opening up. We are receiving more of the bandwidth. We've now got to the 50-inch plasma television, and so we're receiving a, 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 a higher resolution picture. And through that picture, we're realizing that, hey, Humans have this potential. Um, we can uh, listen to this inner voice and listen to our human instinct and intuition, and we can we can know how to move forward. We don't need these these corrupt politicians telling us what is right and what is wrong. Um, we can choose what life we wish to leave, and that's very dangerous for a, a social system. So I think what we need to do is just listen more to ourselves and trust that inner voice and try to distinguish between what may be uh, a false whisper in the ear and what may be your true voice. Um, it may, again, may sound like a cliche with the angel and the devil on our shoulders, but I think 
it's that's a, a crude analogy. I think it's as simple as that. We need to come back to ourselves and come back more to an inner life and spend time and attention to nurture that inner realm rather than spending 100% of our times externalized and focused outwards. I know recently you wrote an article for New Dawn magazine. It was just your brief take on, I think it was like you're looking forward to 2020 and beyond. And uh, you address some of the issues we've been talking about in that piece. You use the word hyper-reality. Now, um, I'm not sure if this what I'm about to say is necessarily what you were, you had in mind, but certainly at the minute it feels like, and we've had pl- plenty of examples already in 2020, that lots of the malign influences on us coming from outside are being ramped up. There's staged spectacles. Staged spectacles can include things I was speaking to earlier, political rallies, sports events, also things like the US military assassinating that Iranian general. Whatever it is, whatever's actually behind it, it's certainly a spectacle. It's a massive distraction. And somebody who we lost recently was one of my favorite broadcasters, Clive James, Australian broadcaster and writer Mm -hmm. and, and poet. And one of his quotes that uh, I always remembered, and given that he was someone who worked in television, was spectacle is the enemy of thought. And so we, I feel that we're seeing a ramping up of these distractions, these sort of firework displays, metaphorically speaking. Uh, oh, look over here. You know, don't think. Look over there. Wow, look at that. That's definitely so. Yeah, it, it's the age of the spectacle. Hyperreality uh, refers to the concept that... Um, we no longer know what is the real uh, or what is the, the real reality with a small r because we've been fed the spectacle and we've been fed a, a narrative um, or a kind of storyline that, that we've kind of taken hook, line, hook, line and sinker. So, so yes, um, you know, the, um, the start of 2020 started off with a bang with the U.S. assassinating the Iranian general and then obviously the 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 U.S. or the Western narrative is this general was very, very bad. He responsible for killing so many people. So most people in the West say, okay, okay, he's bad. It was, he deserved to die. And then they turn around and say, um, Russia meddled with U.S. election. Putin is bad. And we go, okay, okay, Putin is bad. And then they say, look at this, look at that. And, and this, we, you know, we have fake news now. Um, we have manipulated news. Uh, our news, me, mainstream media, and also the news sources, whether they're Associated Press or, or Reuters, come from just one or two sources, and um, so we just we just kind of get get given this this line, which is a spectacle, and that's why one of the chapters in my book I've called the spectacle um, of the absurd. Now, um, and it's, it's come to that kind of position where we don't really know who to believe. We don't even know if we've been told the truth. And we don't even know what is good and bad anymore. Just because someone sits on the other side, you know, another country, um, does that make them bad? Um, because we don't have the information to make those judgments. We've been given superficial information, and therefore we're making superficial opinions. And that is part of the hyper-reality. We've kind of lost our moorings. It's as if someone has tied the rope away from the boat and it's drifting away on the sea. And we don't know which is starboard and which is port or which is north or which is south. And that's hyper-reality. It's a bit of kind of, um, it's a bit of kind of being adrift. I think you'll find this interesting. Uh, about one hour before this conversation began, I was checking out the news on the BBC and 
the presenter was talking to a correspondent about this uh, American strike against this Iranian general and his associates. And my ears pricked up when I heard the phrase, maybe this is one positive benefit of fake news. I thought, oh, what are they going to say? They said, well, because in America, they're saying that uh, the retaliatory strike on the US bases, uh, no one was killed, no one was injured, minimal damage. In Iran, the state media are saying that 80 people, 80 personnel died in those retaliatory missile strikes against the US bases. So, yeah, the talking heads on the BBC were like, uh, so the American audience gets their version. Uh, No one died, no one injured, minimal damage. The Iranian state media have said that 80 personnel died in those missile strikes. Both audiences are satisfied. But one of Mm. them, one of those accounts, or possibly both, are wrong, but they're just going to go with it. So this is a positive upside of it. And I thought, if anything kind of, looks like an example of what you said in your piece it's this well that's it it i mean it is it totally uh, obliterates the the reality and you know i've used in my work the um, french uh, social philosopher jean baudrillard and he talks about the the simulacrum whereby you know everything is almost a simulation because we don't know what is real and he wrote a book in the 90s after the first uh, desert uh, storm iraq war he wrote a book called, the, I think, something like The Gulf War Didn't Take Place. Um, because he said that, you know, everything was, was fictionalized through news accounts. We have no idea what really took place. And so, in a sense, you take, you take that distance away from reality and you're presenting people with that distance kind of simulation. And we're living within the simulation and that's the hyper-reality. And, and now, as you say, that, that news account you mentioned from the BBC is so, is so flippant. It's like, well, you know, as long as people are happy on both sides, it doesn't really matter. Um, you know, that's a, you know, if that's a state of the human condition when we're on the precipice of warfare and people losing their lives, um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite inc- incredible. It's almost like we're just playing the, a, a Sims video game. We're all just playing with our avatars. I mean, you know, what's next? Okay. Well, just a closing thought, Kingsley, and maybe get a little bit metaphysical and hark back to what we were talking earlier on about uh, malevolent entities or mind parasites, mind virus, whatever it is. If we are on this, basically what you might call a journey of awakening to some extent, or we're kind of going somewhere for some reason, if we're being impeded deliberately, is there any possibility that that's in itself is somehow ultimately positive part of a growth process because if it is simply malevolent then are we self-sabotaging or is there some kind of autonomous force behind this and if so to what end why i know that's a massive question but oh it's a big question greg it's you know the big cosmic one um well i don't have answers but i have I have thoughts and speculations um i think one of the things that that um that is um, a handicap to, to the human nature is that we have little if no perception of the enormity and the immensity of um, reality. You know, we are we are within a slither spectrum of reality that we can perceive, and we perceive a, a very tiny um, portion of electromagnetic spectrum. We don't even know what's out there. We still 
believed that maybe we are the only species in the universe and the cosmos. I think my sense is the cosmos is a huge playing field of so many intelligences, so many um, game plans, so much going on that simply because we're not aware of it, we don't see, uh, we can't see really um, a part of this whole bigger picture. Now, um, a lot of traditions, uh, religious traditions as well as spiritual traditions, have talked about these malevolent forces from day one. Of course, we have the um, satanic forces in, in the Christian um, mythology and the Luciferic ones. And in the Quran and Islam, we had the jinns, which were openly talked about as malevolent forces. Um, of course, in Gnosticism, we have the, the archons that we talked about. And in Hinduism, they've talked about these forces. Um, if you read um, Sri Aurobindo, his work, he's talked about what he calls the hostile forces. And I think the game plan is that everyone's vying for space on the playing field, that um, every species has to evolve and, and consciousness has to evolve, but you can't do it in a vacuum. You need um, friction, I think. I, I think you need um, counterpoised forces to help that awareness to grow. For example, we only understand that um, there is darkness because we know what light is. You know, if you was in a dark room and born in a dark room and never saw light, you would not know that light existed until someone brought you light. So I think these these actual uh, counter distinctions and other um, polarity and forces are there to actually create the gameplay which is part of the whole cosmic gameplay. So I don't know where it's going, but I feel it's going towards further advancement and further heightened perception. And consciousness, and therefore humanity with its access to consciousness and what we call human consciousness, is part of that developmental path moving towards heightened perception. But in order to go through that path of developmental perception, we need to be aware, we actually, we have this friction uh, to make us aware of how we need to grow. And so if we take these these malignant forces as being necessary to help us grow, I think that attitude is very positive and can be a developmental attitude. If we take these forces in a negative way and say, oh, I'm doomed, they all, you know, nothing goes right, um, I'm always being attacked, I've got no personal power and responsibility, then I think we're kind of losing the game. And so that's why I feel, yes, you're right, they they are part of the equation, they are necessary, um, but we have to choose how we take them and how we can learn from them and how we can move forward to increase and heighten our perception and therefore play the game better. Well, that idea actually finds an echo in the evolutionary concept of uh, punctuated equilibrium, which is like, uh, you know, evolution, static, static on a plateau, Something happens, the, the punctuation in the equilibrium, and evolution is ramped up. Something changes, there's an X factor comes into play, and things ultimately go to a new level. So that's the background uh, on which I choose to view you know, what we're currently facing, you know, exactly as you say. Yeah, and I concur. I, I would say that um, you know, what we see now in the world today is part of that, as you call, punctuated equilibrium. Um, you know, what's sometimes called the, the breakthrough or breakdown of complex systems is that in order to break through to an, uh, a new level, you need an upsurge in energy. If the energy isn't utilized, the system can break down. Or if the energy is too chaotic, the system can break down. Um, but if that energy, that chaotic energy can be organized and utilized, 
then the system goes to a higher complexity, a higher level. Now, using that that kind of framework, I would say, and I would concur that uh, consciousness is moving towards a heightened complexity of perception, but we need to be aware of it and take take in that chaotic energy and organize it within ourselves. And that means keeping sane and not going crazy. And we can benefit from that heightened energetic uh, organized energy within us and as a human species. Splendid. Well, uh, today, Kingsley, we've been talking about your recent book, Healing the Wounded Mind, the Psychosis of the Modern World and the Search for the Self. Now, that's easy to find. That's available pretty much everywhere. Uh, before we sign off, uh, share details of your website, anything you might be working on or just anything else you'd like to put out there. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Um, if you Google my name, Kingsley Dennis, uh, you'll find my website. It's just kingsleydennis.com. There's not many Kingsleys around, which is good for Google age. Um, and you, my website, I have a lot of information. I have, I think, about 40 or more articles, which are all free to download. And I put out a monthly newsletter if anyone wishes to sign up. And um, you can find my books also online. And, and you can drop me a line. So I'm available and... Um, I'm also working on fiction book. I hope to put out uh, a, uh, a children's novel uh, in the coming year. So I'm trying to address these issues in different formats as well. And uh, I'm just, you know, ongoing on researching, on thinking, on being. Wonderful. Okay. Well, once again, Kingsley, thank you so much for joining us on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thanks, Greg. A real pleasure. <laughs>